Well, we're going to finish up our resharpening series tonight, or tonight, this after this morning. Where am I? What time is it? Okay, 10.30. This morning. And uh, we're going to be looking today at um, an interesting thing. Some of you knew this, maybe some of you didn't, but it kind of fell in perfectly with, with kind of the series and, and how it kind of is going to come to a close. But today is Pentecost Sunday. Now, a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people aren't aware of that. A lot of people, can we just be honest, when the word Pentecost is used, there is a little bit of a tension that kind of enters into the room. There's a little bit of uncertainty that enters into the room. So to kind of, I just have a question for my own, own mindset and own, I'm curious uh, as we kind of get into this, but I have a question for all of you and you're going to have to do something here to help me here. You have to raise your hand to show me, but I'm just interested. How many of you would consider yourself as far as how you grew up and what you're more accustomed to that you kind of grew up in a, a Assembly of God church or a Pentecostal type church? Let me raise your hands, please. Okay. Very good. Very good. How many of you, and I'm going to try to not, I won't be able to get everybody, of course, but I'm trying to get some of you. How many of you maybe grew up in more of a Baptist tradition or more of a Baptist? Okay, couples. Very good. Very good. How many of you maybe grew up in a Methodist or Presbyterian? All right, there we go. Very good. How many of you grew up in a Catholic? Um, Catholic, okay, very cool. How many of you didn't really have a church growing up. How many of you really didn't have it? Hi there, good to see you. Okay, Jason, there's my boy. Oh, that's great. So, so here's the thing, okay? This is really, you know, I, I joked a couple weeks ago, it's like sometimes I don't know the difference between a teaching and a preaching. This is going to be a teaching, okay? At least how I understand teaching, because today we're going to look at the gift of the Holy Spirit and all that goes along with it, and, and here's the reason why. Obviously, today is Pentecostal Sunday. Now, just so we know, we'll talk about this maybe shortly later, but the word Pentecost is a very scary word. It, very, very scary to a lot of people. And the reason why it is, is because, to be quite honest with you, there has been some abuses. There has been some unbiblical things that I haven't just heard about, I've seen which causes some people to basically do this with this whole concept, okay? They basically say, this is, this is this concept, and they just do this. They say, nope, I don't want to deal with it. I don't understand it. I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to understand it. It kind of freaks me out, and I don't want to deal with it. The problem with that attitude is this is just as much scripture as John 3.16. We don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because unfortunately there have been some individuals, some individuals quite honestly, in positions like mine, who have abused this, who have taken things in places that they never should have gone, and that have caused issues, quite honestly, not just in their own churches, but in, in the church as a whole. So we want to look at this this morning. We want to study this this morning because I believe this is a gift that is for all of us. This is a gift that we need. This is a gift that is important. And this is a gift that we can understand to an extent. Now, what I mean by that is this is God and this is God's spirit. And God's ways are higher than our ways. There are going to be things that you need to understand that we're not going to get totally. Because God is way up here in his understanding and knowledge, and we're somewhere in China, if that'll help you, okay? 
but we can look at these things together. So as we close this idea of resharpening, as we close the series about this idea of, of taking things that God wants to sharpen in our lives so that we will be able to more appropriately and more effectively do things for him, we're going to look at this together. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for this time. And Father, I pray right now that as we look in your word, that, Father, you would open our hearts. Father, when it comes to this topic, there is tension, unfortunately. As we were driving this morning into church and, and, and my family was praying together, Emily even, even prayed to something to the effect of, of, of there's tension, there shouldn't be tension around this, but there is. And, Father, I pray that, that there would just be open hearts, open minds, that we would see what you want to say to us. We would understand what you want to communicate to us. And Father, that we will see these things in that way. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's, let's go into this together. Let's look at this together. And, and again, if you have your Bibles, there's going to be up on the screen verses. We're going to have kind of a little bit more verses probably than we typically have. So stay with me. We'll kind of go through these things. But I think there's some important things that we need to look at as we resharpen your empowerment resharpen your empowerment. If you look at the, the prophet uh, Zechariah, he has a verse that, that probably is the one that we know from his book more than any, and it's found in verse number six of chapter four. It says this, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of host. You see, in this concept, in this understanding, we tend to try to do things on our own. We tend to say, you know what, if I was just stronger in this area, or if I just had this ability in this area, then these things would work out. You see, that's, that's just not the way sometimes God works. Yes, he wants to use our giftings. Yes, he wants us to do better in our giftings. Yes, he wants us to sharpen those areas of our life. But at the same time, we need to understand that it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit. Listen, you need to understand what God is wanting to do in our world and in our church and in our families is not going to come about because we figure out this wonderful plan. It's not going to come about because we find this new program that we can put together and, and, and oh, this is going to be great. Not that those things are wrong, not that those things aren't important. But it's going to come by the Spirit of God doing a work in His church and through His church. And we need to understand that. Now, as we kind of jump into this, we need to look at a couple things. Obviously, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We all know these books fairly well. They're books that we study typically. There's books that are basically about the life of Jesus. In these books, we call the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels. Basically, we call them that because they're very much the same. They cover some of the same stories. They say some of the same things. Now, they are a little bit different because they're written to different people. They're written to different audiences, okay? I would write a letter to my mother differently than I would write a letter to Tammy because Tammy's not my mom. Make sense? So basically, in this concept, Mark and, and, and Luke and Matthew, they, they're writing but, uh, different people, but basically about the same events, Okay, and then we have the book of John. John is interesting because John was written probably, at least most theologians think, much later 
than all the other Gospels. A lot of theologians feel like John kind of looked at these things and said, man, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are great, but there's some things that were kind of left out that he wants to cover. And so John actually talks about different things. You see different stories in John. Now, nothing contradicts each other, but you see different stories. John highlights those where maybe Matthew or Mark or Luke does not. But in all four, we do see some similarities. In all four, we do see some things that are in all of them. Now, I don't know about you. I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe that God's word was just happened to happen. I think God inspired people to write. And if there's something in all four gospels, we probably should pay attention to it. Now, this isn't all that's in all four, but there's not much more than these. And we're going to talk about these because I think it's important as we lay the groundwork for understanding the Holy Spirit and, and, and looking at these things together. So here's the thing. This is in your notes. If you didn't get some notes, you can get some on your way out and we'll fill these out. What are the three things that are mentioned in all four Gospels? What are the three things that are mentioned in all four Gospels? Number one, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Okay? The death, burial, that's obviously important. We got to have that. What is that? Simple. It's salvation. Okay? It's the plan of salvation. It's how God rescued you and me. It's how God said, you know, even though you ran away, I will make a way where there is no way. And it showed Jesus his, not just his death, not just his burial, but his glorious resurrection. That's, that's number one. Number two, you see water baptism in all three. Water baptism. Why, why is water baptism important? Why is that? Because it's, 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 it's a symbol. It's showing something that has taken place on the inside, on the outside. It's basically a public declaration of what God has done in you. It is saying, I am a follower of Jesus. I am moving forward with him. It's, it's symbolizing basically the idea of death to yourself and being risen to life in Jesus. It's awesome. We had a baptismal here a couple weeks ago. And I mean, I'm still getting little goosey bumps about it. I mean, it just was so cool and so awesome. I've had people that don't even attend our church here that are in other states that have contacted me and said, man, we, were, we watched online and that was just awesome. That was great. So water baptism is number two. Number three, and this is probably the one you may not realize, is we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We see the baptism of the Holy Spirit in all three. We see basically salvation, we see water baptism, and we see spirit baptism in all three. Let me show you. In Matthew 3 verse 11, we're going to go through each of these quickly, but this is what it says. This is John the Baptist speaking. Okay? He says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. Okay? But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be a slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Holy Spirit and with fire. So again, you see that idea of repentance, that idea of water baptism, and that idea of spirit baptism. Mark 1. In Mark 1, 7 through 8, this is what it says. John announced, again, John the Baptist, someone is coming soon who is much greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. See, it's very similar to what we see in Matthew. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Luke 3. 
in Luke 3. Same type of situation, same area of scripture. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon. And they were eager to know whether John, that again, John the Baptist, might be the Messiah. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, remember, these are the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This makes sense that they would show all this together. There's lots of things in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that are all there, but not so much in John. But let's look at John. Because in John 1 we see something interesting. John 1, 32 through 34. Now, this is a little different, but it's the same situation and the same idea. So John gives us a few more details that we don't necessarily have in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But look what is there. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. Now, I want to stop here real quick. Because I want to bring some understanding to a concept that sometimes has some misunderstanding, okay? I want us all to look, and for those who are online, those should be on your screen. If, if not, grab your Bible so you can see this. This is what it says. Is, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, okay? How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, just think about it. How many of you have ever seen a church logo with a dove in it? I remember when I was a kid, I mean, it seemed like every Assembly of God church I saw had a dove in it. You know, I remember having a moment in my church growing up where we had a really great service and, and someone came in all excited and I'm like, what's, what's, what's going on? And they said, there was a dove, there was a dove, there was a, and I'm like, what, 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 what do you mean there was a dove? Like a real dove? Yeah, like a real dove. And it was on the church. And I said, so what? And they said, no, 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 it was a dove. Can I bring some clarity here about this? Okay. This idea here when it says, like a dove, is a simile. Let me give you an example of how this works. This is not saying that the Holy Spirit came as a dove. Okay. What we're seeing here is John is giving us an understanding of kind of helping us to understand. Let me, let me give you an example. Let's say I took my notes, and hopefully not the notes I'm needing this morning, but I took a piece of paper, and maybe it was white. This will maybe help if it was white. And I took the notes, and I crumbled them up into little pieces of paper. Okay? And then somehow, because I'm crazy, I got up on the very, very top of the roof, and I threw all the paper out. And all the paper... And someone said, wow, look, the paper looks like falling snow. What are you saying? You are not saying the paper has turned into snow. You are saying it looks like snow. What we're seeing here is we are not seeing the Holy Spirit as a dove coming and landing on Jesus' head. John is giving us something, he's trying to explain something that he doesn't really quite know how to explain. And so he says here, it's like a dove. And he comes. Let's go ahead and throw that back up there, Monica. Let's go ahead and continue here. Because it says, descending like a dove and resting upon him. Do you understand what just happened? Jesus has now had the Holy Spirit rest upon him. If this was happened before, why would the Holy Spirit come and rest on him now? What has just taken place, folks? He just was water baptized. 
So what we're seeing here is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on Jesus. He says, this is what John continues to say. I didn't know he was the one, speaking of Jesus. But when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit, not the dove, but the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testified that he is the chosen one of God. So in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see salvation. We see, and obviously, I, I could have said, okay, here's, here in Mark, Matthew, where Jesus is crucified. We all know those are there, okay? But we see salvation, we see water baptism, and we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, in this concept, we have to see what Jesus is going to do. Because John tells us that Jesus here is going to be the one that baptizes. Remember, John baptizes in water. But Jesus, the one who is to come, will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes in Mark, or excuse me, in Luke and Matthew, they take it one step further and they say, and fire. So let's see how this comes to be. Let's see what Jesus communicates to his disciples when the time is right. So let's look at Acts 1. In Acts 1, let me kind of give you an idea of where we're at, okay? At Acts 1, Jesus has died. Jesus has ministered. He's died. He's resurrected. And now he is hanging out with his disciples. The Bible records that he basically spends, as we're going to look, 40 days with them. But this is what it says in Acts 1. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he actually was alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them. Now this is a command. And also this is something else we need to realize here. Okay? If you thought that, that, that you know, these guys were hopefully listening to Jesus earlier... I hope that they were listening really, really good now, okay? It's one thing to be like, okay, I think this is guy's the Messiah. I believe he's the Messiah. It's another thing to go, okay, this guy was dead. He was buried, and now he's sitting here having lunch with me. I better pay attention to what the man has to say, okay? So he commands them this. Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water. Here it is again. But in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, okay, this is interesting. Because he says, listen, this is what's going to happen. This is what you need to do. Well, the disciples still really don't get it. They still kind of miss this. And so they go, okay, Jesus, is this the time for you to come and to free Israel and restore the kingdom? What does that mean? They had this concept still that the Messiah was a political Messiah. The Messiah was going to come and kick out the Romans and things of that nature. So even here in Acts 1, after Jesus has died and raised from the dead and all these things, they're still not quite getting it yet. So Jesus, interestingly enough, as we continue on with verse number 7, he says, listen, he takes them right back to what he was continuing to say. He says, listen, guys, he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set the times and the dates, and they're not for you to know. Okay? And he's like, but you guys don't miss this. Don't miss this. But you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let's continue with verse number five, nine. Okay. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. So in this moment, this is it. This is Jesus' last words to us. He's, listen, you need to wait in Jerusalem. You need to wait for the gift that the Father is going to give. And he says, it's going to give you power to witness. Why do we desire this gift? Why does God want us to have this gift? I think it's real simple. It's power to witness. Now, what does that mean to witness? Well, obviously, the first place that we go is to share Jesus with people. And obviously, that's a part of it. But I think this idea of witness is deeper than that. We see all over scripture where it's not always what you say, it's how you live and what you do. I believe that God has given us this gift, not just to give us the boldness, not just to give us the words to say when we're maybe speaking to someone about Jesus, but also to live the Christian life out. I believe very strongly that when you have this gift, you will have a boldness, you will have more of an understanding, you will be able to live your life in a better way and in a more effective way. You will basically sharpen these areas of your life so that when you speak, your witness is good, but also how you live will show your witness is good. I'm not saying that that means you'll be perfect. I'm not saying that you won't have issues or problems. What I am saying is that God will be there in a more powerful way in your life to help you deal with these issues. Now, let's stop here and let's have a little discussion so that we all understand where we're at, okay? Number one, salvation is first, okay? Just so everybody understands this. If you get saved... You go to heaven. If I could like, put like a period at the end, I would. Okay? We're going to talk about this more in a minute. But salvation, okay? You do not, hear me here so we understand, because there's sometimes some misunderstandings and some misteachings on this. You do not have to be water baptized to make it to heaven. And you do not have to be spirit baptized to make it to heaven. Okay? You want a simple, easy example? Thief on the cross. Okay? As much as I'm sure he would have loved to have been able to get off the cross and get baptized, he didn't. And he said to Jesus, or Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And what's interesting about that whole thing is I was studying that and trying to understand that concept is you realize that Jesus dies first, right? Okay? They had to go to the thieves and break their legs. Why did they do that? Simple. Because as you were being crucified, you would actually be able to push up with your legs and your knees to take a breath. Most people that died on the cross died of suffocation. They didn't die of their wounds. They died of suffocation. And so basically what they would do to speed death up when they were really actually nice about it is they would come and they would break your legs. And then you could no longer push up, so you would basically suffocate. Jesus didn't have his legs broken. Why? Because he died earlier than they expected. But they had to break the legs of the thieves. So Jesus here is communicating, listen, when I die, the price is going to be paid. When I die, salvation will be available to you. And so as Jesus dies, that price is paid, and an amazing thing happens. And when that thief dies, he goes straight into God's presence. He wasn't baptized. He wasn't spirit baptized. Now, should we? Sure. 
Those are great, awesome things. Don't misunderstand me. But also understand that salvation is alone. Salvation is by itself, which is important. This is in your notes because I wanted you to get this. Jesus saves, but it's the Holy Spirit that empowers. Jesus saves, but it's the Holy Spirit that empowers. Okay? So we need to understand that. So now let's continue on. Let's see when this gift comes and let's see what happens. Let's look at Acts 2. In Acts 2, verse number 1, it says this. And we're gonna, I told you we're going to come back to Pentecost. Okay, so here we are. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Remember I talked about how scary Pentecost was? Do you know what the word Pentecost means? It's very scary. The word Pentecost means basically when you break it down, it means 50. 50. Woo. That's what it means. Why? It's real simple. Because Pentecost takes place 50 days after the Passover. Okay? Pentecost was a Jewish feast where they basically would celebrate the wheat harvest and being thankful for that. Later on, it also kind of graft into it the, the giving of the law by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. But this was a feast. This was a 50-day after Passover. We're going to see in a minute that there's a bunch of people in Jerusalem. They're there for this feast. Okay? So on the day of Pentecost, which basically means 50, it's 50 days after the Passover, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. Once again, this idea of trying to explain something that we don't know how to explain it. You know, it's like, how do you, how do you explain, you know, certain things to people, you know? And so they're trying to make this, so this sound like a mighty windstorm, and it fills the house where they're sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and rested or settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Okay? Gave them this ability. It's very important that we understand that this gift is given by God and God gives us these abilities. Okay? It's very important that we understand that. But before we continue on here, we need, to, we need to have this little discussion here, okay? I prefer, and I use the, the, the New Living Translation. I prefer, when we look at Acts 2, that we see the word languages. Why? Because I think it gives a better understanding of really what's taking place here. Other translations use the word tongues. Now, tongues has, once again, a very negative a reputation, because I think in some ways it has been coerced. I think in some ways it has been just some very not biblical things have gone on there, okay? And again, I'm not talking about I heard it once. I've seen it. In some ways I've experienced it, okay? But you need to understand something. The word that is translated is basically this idea or this word that we see that basically is the same as language. It's glossa. And it's tongues or language. They're interchangeable. Okay? Like I said, I prefer the word that uses the word language because I think it gives us a better understanding of what takes place. So 10 days after Jesus has left, remember he walked 40 days, then he ascends into heaven. 10 days later, because we know now we're on the day of Pentecost, 
the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to his disciples. Okay? It's given to his disciples. Let's continue because the story doesn't end there. Let's look at Acts 2, starting with verse number 5 now. At the time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Let's continue on, verse 7. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they explained. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. So in this situation, what we see is the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit is gifted to these believers, and they begin to speak in these other languages. People that are in Jerusalem hear this commotion because they're in what we believe is kind of like an upper room area. It's got about 120 people in it, so it's a larger room. And they begin to hear this noise. And they're going, what's going on? What, what is happening in this room? And they start to show up trying to figure out what's going on. And they're beginning to hear their own native languages spoken by people that basically aren't really bilingual at all. And they're going, what is this? What's going on? What, 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 what is taking place here? And can we just be honest with each other? In a lot of ways, ever since that day, we have had confusion when it comes to this. We have sat there and gone, what does this mean? And for some of us, because we haven't understood, we've kind of said, yeah, I'm not interested. I, yeah, I don't understand it. It's a little deeper than I understand. And I'm just going to let it be. And I don't believe that's what God has for us. Because this is a gift, and we're going to see it's for all of us. But because of these confusions, because of some of those things, Paul writes to the, first, the church in Corinth to deal with some of these areas. Now, we're going to go back to Acts, and we're going to see a couple other things. But let's first see what Paul says about this idea of tongues and language that takes place. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 4, well, excuse me, 14. In 1 Corinthians 14, this is what it says. This is what Paul is writing to the people. For anyone who speaks in a tongue, or again, that idea of language, does not speak to people, but to God. Does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Okay? So, so Paul comes here and he says, listen, when, when we're speaking in this language, when we speak in this, what we're going to see in a minute, this prayer language, it's something that you are not going to understand and others are not going to understand. Why? Simply, you're not speaking to people. You're speaking to God. Okay? You're speaking to God. Let's continue on. In the same chapter, verse number 14, Paul continues. For if I pray in tongues, or this language, my spirit is praying. Okay? I think this is honestly, in some ways, one of the best verses to understand this gift okay? and what God is helping us to see. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I am saying. Well then, what shall I do? I will pray in the spirit, and I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the spirit, and I will also sing in words I understand. What is Paul helping us to understand here? Simple. Both of these things are important. Both of these things are good. He says, listen, sometimes I pray in the spirit. Sometimes I pray in words I understand. For us, that would obviously be English. 
Sometimes I sing in the Spirit. Sometimes I will say words that I understand. Both are important to the life, I believe, of the believer. Okay? They're both important. And he's helping us to understand that. Okay? Now let me kind of give you uh, my own experience. Okay? Because here's the thing. You will very rarely hear me pray out loud in a public setting in my prayer language. Okay? And the reason why that is, like you come up to me and say, hey, listen... Aaron, I need you to pray. Uh, my, my dad's going in for surgery. He's got a, 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 you know, an issue. And, and would you pray? I will, I will pray for you right there, and I will use English words. 99 times out of 100. Okay? But when I go home and I pray, I will typically then, at, not the whole time, but parts of it, pray in the Spirit. Here's why. Okay? When I pray with my normal words, I'm praying with my own understanding. I'm praying how I think God would want to handle the situation. Yes, I'll pray, God, let your will be done. But I'm going to pray basically probably what you're hoping I pray in a situation like that. God, help the surgery go well. God, help there to be no complications. Help the recovery to go well. All those things are great things to pray. But here's the thing. When I go home and pray in the Spirit, I'm praying specifically for God's will. I'm praying that God's will takes place. I am aligning my spirit with God's spirit on that particular thing. Both are important. Both have some value. Paul tells us again in, in 1 Corinthians, he says, listen, he makes the comment, he says, I speak in tongues more than any of you. And later on in the same chapter, he says, do not prohibit the speaking of tongues. Paul here is very clear on this. He says, listen, both of these work together. Both of these are important. And we need to understand that. So let's continue on. Let's finish up Acts as, as the, and the story there. So let's go to Acts 2 again. So in Acts 2, basically, after all this happens, is, and I, I probably should have, before I said Acts 2, I should have waited on this. But, but basically, when this takes place, and they begin to speak, basically, in this moment, Peter stands up. And Peter begins to preach a message. And he basically says, hey, listen, what you're seeing here has been prophesied by the prophet Joel. And, and this is what's happening. And basically, 3,000 people get saved. Okay? And it's an awesome thing. But after the message is kind of wrapping down, I kind of gave away what's going to happen. But after that, basically, these guys are, are heard this message. They've seen these things. And now we're going to look at where they come from in Acts 2, 37. It says, Peter's words pierced their hearts which is a way of saying that it brought conviction. Not, not guilt, not shame, but conviction. That, that idea that God is drawing us to himself. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Great question. We've heard the message. That's been what, what do we do now? Let's continue on and let's see what Peter says in verse number 38. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promises to you, to your children, and to all those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. So what do we see? What does Peter tell them? Guess what? Salvation, water baptism, Spirit baptism. Now, here's the thing. What we're seeing here is this, this pattern. What we're seeing here is this way. We're seeing one step, two steps, three steps. Now remember, 
remember, so we all remember, salvation is step one, and that's important. That's the most important thing. But then we see Peter tell them to be water baptized, and then we see them also to be spirit baptized. What we're seeing here is interesting because we saw it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and now we're seeing it in Acts, but this concept of three separate events. Salvation, repent, turn, that's repentance, water baptism, spirit baptism. Now, let's look at this together because I believe there's some some things we need to understand about that, okay? Let's look at Acts 8. In Acts 8, we see a story, okay? This is after all these things have happened. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Let's stop there for a second. Okay, I I don't have time to get into the whole story, but basically Philip goes to Samaria. He's in Samaria, and he is preaching the good news, and we see here in verse 12 that the people believed it. They became believers. Okay, salvation. Let's continue on. Let's look at the rest of the verse. As a result, a result of what? A result of their salvation, their believing, many men and women were baptized. Okay? So let's stop here for a second and let's see what's taking place. It's real simple. We've seen salvation and now we've seen water baptism. Okay? Now, let's jump ahead to verse 14. Okay? Let's look what happens in verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these, again, believers and they received the Holy Spirit. We'll wait on that one. So what are we seeing? Question. Just just being logical. Okay, because I know there's there's some teaching out there that says when, when I got saved, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? I understand that, okay? And we're not here to throw rocks at people or, or, or those things. I'm just here to, to, to look at the Word together with you. If they had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when they believed, then why did John and Peter go there and lay hands on them and then we see them receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Okay? If you already have something, there's no reason to send them. Okay? Let's look at another example of this, this idea of three separate events. Now, let's go to Acts 19, okay? Monica, you were doing great. You were, you were one step exactly where I needed you to be. So, awesome. Thank you. Acts 19, verses 1 through 6. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found, who did he find? Several believers. Okay? That's important. Several believers. He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied, and this is interesting, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Several years ago, there was, there was a book that came out basically talking about this idea of Holy Spirit being the, the forgotten part of the Trinity and all these sort of things. Kind of interesting that here in this scripture, they, they don't even know about that. Then, then what baptism, starting with verse 3, what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Okay, 
the baptism of John, what are they saying? Basically, the baptism in water, the baptism of repentance, but that's what they've experienced. Paul said, and he says this, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. Let's go with verse 5. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues, other languages, and prophesied. So once again, we see this concept here of salvation, believers. We see water baptism and we see spirit baptism. We see all these things come together. Now, here's the thing. There's others that have believed and, and feel like, you know, well, th that, was, that was good for then, but it's not for today. A lot of people believe and, and teach that this concept of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is, was for then. It, it basically went away with the apostles. The problem with that is that's not what Scripture tells us. We have to be able to look at Scripture. And we're going to go back now. And it's not there, Monica, but, so don't worry about it. But when, when in Acts 2, when Peter replies to them and he tells them, he says this in verse number 39. He says, this promise is for you, to your children, and to those far away. That idea and that concept of those far away has two understandings when you break it down. One is the concept of basically, you remember when Jesus told that they were going to be witnesses here and then here and then out further? That's one concept that basically far away is actually that. The people that aren't around here, people out there that aren't here. But it also indicates the idea of future generations. Okay? So it's just not here, but it's there. And then he goes one step further, in case we have any questions. He says, all who have been called by the Lord our God. This is a gift. Hear me. This is a gift for you. It's a gift for me. It's a gift for your kids. It's a gift for your grandkids. It's a gift for your grandparents. It's a gift for everyone. Who is the gift for? All those that believe. What's the prerequisite? you got to believe. But when you do, this is available to you. This is something that God can do in you and through you. And I believe God desires to do that in us. So as we bring this kind of to a close, I want to look at some kind of, it's a weird way to call it application, but, but I believe that there's also been some misunderstanding when it comes to receiving this gift. Now, here's the thing we need to all understand, okay? If I am the gift giver, Okay? If I go to the store tonight and I go, you know what, I'm going to do something really great for my son. I'm going to go buy him some Legos. That would make his head so excited. Go buy him some Legos. You know, I am the one who purchased the gift. I am the one who has the gift. Guess what also I get to decide? When he gets the gift. Okay. Now let's, let's, let's use this as an example. So I get this gift and I'm all excited. Oh boy, Easton's going to be all excited. He's going to be great. And then, and then I know you would never believe this about my son, but he, 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 he doesn't act really good tomorrow. Okay. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to give him a gift when he's basically done some things that he shouldn't be doing. And so I may wait on that. Okay. Can, can I, can I, can I give you some encouragement when it comes to this gift? 
God wants you to have it, period. But God also knows the best time to give the gift, okay? God knows when the best time is to give the gift, and we need to trust that. I had friends literally in college that, that you know, and if, if this matters to you, it shouldn't, but, you know, guys training to be pastors who, who basically it took years of them seeking the gift of the Spirit before God gave it to them, okay? So this is not about today. It's not about we're going to sit here till something happens. We're going to let God do what God wants to do in God's timing. But what we can do is these things, I believe. I believe we can do these things. I believe there are three ways, and there are more, but I believe there are three ways to prepare your heart to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, three ways that I believe, and we're going to try to get through these somewhat quickly. Number one, number one, get humble. Get humble. Okay, a lot of times our pride gets in the way of things, not just of this, but in a lot of things. Our pride can kind of come in, and, 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 and here's the thing. Hear me here. God is not going to put his, his spirit onto something and onto someone who is prideful. Why? Because it's real simple. When that happens, bad things happen. Okay? You know, I talked about how sometimes the, the tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all these things have bad raps. You know why? In my opinion, it's because there's pride that comes a part of that. There's this, oh, look how spiritual I am. Look how anointed I am. And we have to understand that. We have to know. We have to be humble. God says, I will elevate the humble and I will bring down the prideful. This is what it says. If our pride is, it, it's our pride that sometimes gets in the way of our blessing. It's our pride that sometimes gets in the way of our blessing. You know how I've also seen it happen maybe in my life, maybe I should talk about me, is, is I think I got it all figured out. I think, oh, I, I totally understand the mysteries of God, which Paul calls it. And so because of that, I think I know what it's supposed to look like and be like, and I kind of get puffed up, not just on this, but on other things. When that happens, we need to understand that we're going to miss some blessings that God maybe wants to bring. Number two, get hungry. Get hungry, okay? I mean, here, here's the, we've kind of talked about this before. Most of us have no idea what it feels like to be hungry, okay? I mean, not, 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 but hungry. God calls us to be hungry. He tells us that those that are hungry and thirsty, he will fill. But you know what? We got to get hungry. The problem is, and this is in your notes, if you're not hungry for God, then you're probably full of other things. You're probably full of other things. I'm just trying to be honest with you. If, if, if you're not hungry for God, you may need to take a step back and go, okay, what am I filling up with that's not God? Because I need to be hungry for God. I need to have a desire for God. I need to desire his gifts and his plan and his ways. I need to grow in him. I need to understand these things in a deeper way. If you're not hungry, it's because you're probably full of other things. And you know what? We all do that at times. We all do that at times. You know, it's a funny way to put it, but there's a reason why, and maybe you do do this, and that's fine if you do, but, but at, at Thanksgiving time, we have dessert last. Why? Because we need to fill up on some of the other things. 
You know, we don't, if Easton has a good dinner, then he gets a treat. Get what I mean in here? What are you full of? What are you full of? Because if you're full of other things, listen, listen, this idea is a pouring in to you from the Holy Spirit. But if you're already full, where's it going to go? Where's it going to go? The last thing, don't get in a hurry. Don't get in a hurry. We, we tend to say, I, I need this now. I want this now. I, I mean, goodness gracious, we, we just went through a, a season of, of, of DoorDash and, and, and obviously all these wonderful things. You can take your phone and did, 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 15 minutes later, there it is. We want it now. But here, listen, this is a gift that God wants all of us to have, but the timing is important. We need to understand that and not get in a hurry. Listen, hear me here. If you're always in a hurry, you will run past what God is doing. This isn't about a moment to get so that you can mark it on your wall and go, look at me. This is something deeper on your journey that God wants to do in you and through you. Let him ask the worship team to come on up. I, I know that I, I've been a little long today. I sometimes do that, um, but there's just so much here. I was, I was actually talking to John this week about the message, and um, you know, I told him, I said, I'm, I'm trying to probably put into one Sunday, which I could probably put into a month uh, of messages, but so I, I hope that I, I didn't leave anything out. And listen, here's the deal, okay? If you have questions, come talk to me about this. You know, let's, let's look at these things together. And here's the thing. You, you may disagree with me. Now, listen, you can. <laughs> you can. It's okay. But this is what I see the Scripture telling us. This is what I believe God's will is for us. We started this message with this concept. It's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by my spirit. And I believe that God wants to empower all of us by his spirit to be his witnesses. Listen, if there is something that this world needs right now, it's some witnesses for Jesus. Not just people that talk a good game, but people that live a good game. People that, that don't just sit there and just say, blah, 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 but they love and they minister and they grow and they are doing all these things that quite honestly the spirit can empower us to do now listen hear me here i know there's some great men and women of god who who have lived living now that god used in mighty mighty ways who did not believe in the gift of the holy spirit you know what's awesome about god God's word, it says, doesn't come back void. God's going to use you. God is going to use you as he used them. This is not a prerequisite. And I, as I was reading and I was studying it, I saw this really scary thing like, oh, well, we, got, we can't preach this because it's going to make tears of Christians. You know, spirit-filled Christians are up here and they think they're better than everybody else and blah, blah, blah. You know, and that's probably true, but here's what I would say to that. We probably need to grow up. and not let that be a divisive thing. 
Because if it is, that's not saying that God's spirit doesn't desire to be poured out. It's basically talking about the immaturity of certain believers. You heard the phrase, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I believe that God wants to do this. So here's what we're going to do. I've invited the worship team to come. And we're just going to let God do what God wants to do. I don't know what God's going to do. He does, and I trust him. So we're going to spend a little bit of time. I've asked John to, to not just do a chorus, but to actually do a song. And then we're going to spend some time in God's presence. And if you desire this gift this morning, I want you to ask for it. I'm going to pray over you as well as a group. But listen, we're not going to bring you forward. We're not going to say, say these words. The Spirit will give you the way. The Spirit will give you the utterance. You say to me, Aaron, how do I know if God's, if I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Let me explain something to you. It's real simple. If you have, you will know. You get in God's presence like that, your life will be changed. If, if you say, if I come to you and say, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? And you go, well, I, I think so. I, I, well, there was this one thing maybe. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to say you're probably not. But here's the other thing. If you have been, What's great is God can refill you again and again and again and again and again and again. So I'm not just going to pray for those that need it and desire it in this moment for the first time, but for those that also say, God, you know, fill me up again. One of the greatest prayers we can pray is, God, fill me up again with your spirit. Fill me up with that power. Fill me up with that ability to be your witness. Those are great prayers, and we're going to pray them together. And as we pray these things, okay, John and the team is going to come and we're just going to worship and we're just going to let God do what God wants to do, okay? So Father, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. Let's all stand if you would. In the name of Jesus, I come to you, Father. And God, you're so good. And God, I believe that what we see in Scripture, what is laid out for us is you have a gift for all of us, for our kids, for our grandkids, for those that are far off, for all people that are called by your name. So, Father, first and foremost, if there are those here within the sound of my voice, whether online or here, that don't know you, they haven't accomplished step number one, they haven't accepted you as their Savior, that they can right now. All they have to say, all they have to believe is, Jesus, you came, you died, you bled, you rose again for my sin. I accept you as my Savior. I accept your forgiveness. And the Word says when we do that, all things have become new. Everything has been wiped away and we're a new creation. So, Father, if there are those that have not, I pray that that would, would happen right now in their hearts. That's a conversation between you and them that they can accomplish right now. And Father, for those of us who have accepted you, maybe we need to get water baptized. Again, it's not a prerequisite for salvation, and it's honestly not a prerequisite for spirit baptism. But it's a sign. It's a, it's a showing outward of what you've done. But Father, I'm going to pray right now for those who are right now praying for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would unleash that gift for those that are ready. You would unleash that power. You will unleash that power to witness and both in the things we say and the way we live right now, God, that you would bring it. You would open their mouths and they would begin to praise you. They would begin to worship you in that way. And God, I open it up to you and say, God, whatever you have is what we want right now. But God, right now, I pray that you would just do a work and that you would give that gift 
to those right now that are ready. Maybe they'll be ready later on today or later on this week. God, whatever it is, God, that's what we're praying for. Your will, your time, because your gift is for all of us. It's for all of us, Father. We love you. Let's worship the Lord together.
Thank you, Father. Father, I thank you for the, the refillings that have taken place here this morning and online. Maybe there's, there's people that are going to be watching this later on in this week and, they, and they also bow their hearts to you and you're refilling them. And so we just thank you for them knowing, knowing that you're going to do those things. knowing that this is for all of us. So Father, I thank you for those. Father, I thank you for those that you are filling for the very first time. Again, whether here with us this morning in this moment or online. Father, I pray that you would empower us to be your witnesses. Not to act super spiritual, not to, to try to fool individuals into thinking that we have more of an anointing than we actually do. But fathers, that we would be empowered to make an impact on the way we live our lives and the way we tell others about Jesus through our words and our actions. You commanded us to experience this gift and father i know and i believe that if we will be humble if we will be hungry and if we don't get in a hurry in your perfect time you will give this gift to all who seek it i believe that i believe that's what we see in your word and i believe that's what you desire for all of us, for us, for our children, and for those that are far off, all who are called by you. So Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity to look at these things. Father, I pray if it, that you would just bring clarity to every individual. God, I'm not the best teacher in the world, but you are. And the things that I've made muddled, Father, I believe in the name of Jesus, you can bring clarity to. Because God, you're not a God of confusion. But Father, let us look to your word. Not our experiences. Not our past. Not in areas where people misunderstood and misused things. But to see what your word says and what you say for us help us God we love you we thank you sharpen us again father in all of these areas of our lives that we've talked about over these last several weeks we love you we thank you in Jesus name amen amen thank you father well thank you so much for being here Hope that you have a wonderful week. Those that are online, hey, we love you. We miss you. We hope you're doing really, really well. And uh, if you need anything, and this goes for everybody, but also online, if you need anything, please reach out. Let us know. We want to be there for you and care for you. We're a family, and that's how this is supposed to work. So let us know if we need you. If you need anything, we love you all so much. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Have a good one.